Hello, my friends, fellow parents. This is Angela Jernigan, and I am recording, you are listening to the Parents Way podcast, where we talk about parenting, spirituality, and politics. I haven't recorded a podcast in a long while. You probably have noticed, maybe. And um, that's because in our family, we are experiencing lots of topsy-turvy kinds of times, just like what's happening in the wider world, although a little little less harrowing. Um, And you may also notice that my husband, Niels, is not recording this time. And that's because he is off on a new professional venture, which I will talk to you about at some point in the future, I'm sure. And I may even snag him back for a podcast from time to time. So we have been in a time of tons of change and um, we're all doing really well. And um, not easy though. It has not been an easy time by any means, and it has left a lot of big unknowns about the future direction of our immediate family and of our work and our role in the Bay Area and a whole bunch of things just unknown. So I'd been waiting to figure out what's happening to be in touch with you so that I could tell you more clearly. Um, This is what you can expect. And then I realized I can't wait until I know what they can expect because I have no idea. What I can say is that something is afoot. Something is stirring about, I don't even know what. Something is stirring. How do I say this? Something is stirring in the realm of parents and children and families and justice and resilience and policy and healing and spirituality. And it may have a heart in the Bay Area. I think it's got hearts in many places, but something specific is happening here. And it's evolving, and I will hopefully have more to tell you about it soon. But who knows? (laughs) So this is the practice right now. The reason I'm even saying all this to you is that I think that we are all living with a tremendous degree of unknown, a tremendous sense as parents that maybe more than ever before, the future of the world is really unknown. What's going to happen in the course of our children's lives feels far less predictable to this generation of parents than to generations before us. Whether there will even be an earth in 50 or 100 years is really a legitimate question. Just how violent and out of control and divided and 
derisive and icky and scary things are going to get, we don't know. We don't know. And we are charged with parenting these people who start out extremely vulnerable, these little children, and it's our job to support them, make decisions for them, build relationships with them that will prepare them for a world that is marked by lots of unknown. This is indeed a time of not knowing. I've come to think of this time as something of a spiritual crisis for parents because we feel the future every time we look at our children. We feel how scary the world is every time we look at our children. And we can wrap our children with buffers to some extent. Um, That extent has everything to do with how much privilege we carry in the world. And this is one of the things that privilege does. It allows us to wrap the vulnerability of our children in layers that buffer them from the worst of what's happening in the world, but it always has limits. It always has limits. And I think even among privileged populations right now, as parents, we are feeling the vulnerability of our children. We are feeling the vulnerability of their future in a way that may actually make us come to understand a little bit more the experience of people who carry less privilege, people for whom the future has always been very sketchy, people for whom the public and the systems and the status quo, the powers that be, seem at odds with the flourishing of one's children. I think that this sense of spiritual crisis that parents are in is a sense that parents of marginalized and oppressed groups have likely been feeling much more of a sense of spiritual emergency, as in, are we even going to make it? as a people kind of emergency, as part and parcel of life. I think about African Americans, Native Americans. I think about lesbian, gay, transgendered parents. I think about poor parents. Think about parents with children who are very sick or parents who are sick themselves. And I think about all of the many ways that many, many, many people are, have come from a long line of people who know what it is to not be sure if your very people are safe in the world.
And now I think that there's this moment of opportunity because even those of us who carry more privilege in the world, and I think as people in the United States, we all carry more privilege than people in other countries. The standard of living here is a head and shoulders above what it is in many, many countries in the world. And so all of us, just by virtue of being here, have privilege. If you've got white skin, if you've got money in your family, if you've got maleness and able-bodiedness and college education, these things add up. If you're straight, if you're Christian or at least not Jewish, not Muslim, these things add up to layers of privilege that buffer us from the fundamental vulnerability of being human. The vulnerability of being human is becoming more evident even among communities of privilege. This makes this moment in time profoundly exciting. Because the more we can become aware of our own privilege, the more we can become aware of the vulnerability we were protected from before that we experience more now, the more we can have a heart for people who have been living with this kind of vulnerability all along. This is a moment in our history when it might just be the case that people of privilege could learn to listen. Listen to the vulnerability in ourselves and listen to the voices of those populations of people who are less vulnerable structurally in the world. I think it's possible. And I know I'm an optimist and I get, you know, I get um, criticized for that sometimes that I'm an optimist. But I actually think that hope is in the realm of reasonable. And I know it seems like a crazy moment in history to say that. But this is going to be the key moving forward can we turn and value the vulnerable? Can we turn and tune into the experience of the vulnerable, of the vulnerable inside ourselves, of the vulnerable in our children, of the vulnerable in other populations? Can we come to see vulnerability and the suffering that happens when you are a vulnerable being, inevitably, in a world 
where things are unjust? Can we see our shared vulnerability as a point of connection as opposed to something to white knuckle our way over and through? Can we finally give up the pretense that we can actually control this outcome on our own through force of will? This is an interesting time of year for Christians. I'm a Christian minister. You may remember that. Um, This is the time of year when we celebrate Advent. And Advent is the four weeks leading up to Christmas. And for Christians, we consider this a time of waiting and listening. It's a time of waiting and listening for the birth of Christ. And we consider Jesus to have been the incarnated presence of the holy in human form. And whether you believe that or not about Jesus, there is some value to the tradition. And the value of the tradition, and there's a lot of problems with the tradition too, don't get me wrong, but the value of the tradition is that, well, one of the things is that it teaches us to listen to the vulnerable. Let me back up though. This is a time, Advent is a time in the Christian calendar when we remember Mary. Mary, for Christians, is the mother of Jesus. And there's some things that are really important to know about Mary. And over the next few weeks, it's possible that I'm going to have more to share with you about Mary because she and I have had a lot of engagement, let's say, (laughs) over the last year plus of my life. And um, I'll perhaps share more of that with you. But I've been very intrigued by Mary. And this is why. This is why I think it's important to know her and what she's about. I think she has a lot to offer us as parents at this moment in time. And this is why. Mary was poor and Mary was Jewish in a cultural context 2,000 years ago under Roman rule. She was in an oppressed community and in a minority position of her oppressed community. She was a woman. Her family was poor. She was young, she was a teenager, and she was Jewish in a world that was ruled by the Roman Empire, which was highly patriarchal. In fact, that's even where the word patriarchy comes from. That's another tangent. (laughs) So Mary, Mary was Jewish, and she was a woman, and she was young, and she was poor. 
And what's fascinating to me about Mary is she had an experience that we Christians on the first day of Advent, we read the scripture that tells the story of Mary having an encounter with Gabriel, an angel of the Lord. And this angel, according to our scripture, comes to tell Mary, you will become pregnant with the child of God. Now, this is a little um, crazy. It's a little crazy. It's a little crazy if you are what she calls herself, the lowly, if you are among the most powerless people in a particular time in history. If you are among the most powerless, and yet you have an experience where an angel appears before you and tells you God has impregnated you with God's baby, and through this incarnation, all of history will be changed. Well, Mary does what you can imagine somebody in her position might do. She says, what? Who, me? What are you talking about? And she has a reaction of shock and doubt. I'm imagining, because with, with scripture, we have to do a lot of reading between the lines in terms of what was actually happening, especially for um, the not males <laughs> in the story. Um, and what I imagine is that she thought, oh my God, people are going to think I'm crazy. Here I am. I'm not married. I'm a virgin. I'm, I'm poor. What are my people going to think? This is awful. If this is indeed true that I'm pregnant, this is a nightmare for me in my context. And if I tell anybody that I'm pregnant from Yahweh, the God, the creator, the source and liberator of humanity, they're going to think I'm nuts. And maybe I am. Surely these kinds of thoughts went through her mind. It's not in the scripture, but I'm imagining. How could it not? So Mary is someone who is deeply, deeply, deeply entrenched. I mean, she really, her, her, she knows her Jewish tradition. She knows the Jewish scriptures. And she, as a result, has a narrative that's alternative to what the Roman Empire tells her about her own worth. Because this is what her Jewish tradition taught her. That God, the one who created and sustains the world, the one whose life is at the very core 
of life, all of our lives, that this presence is actually on the side of those who have less power. That God, the creator of everything, the force that is most powerful in all of the universe, values what the world does not always value. God seeks to liberate those who the world holds captive. She is steeped in a tradition that says, yes, the powers that be believe one thing about you. And the powers that be may control many aspects of your life and your existence. The powers that be may have enslaved your people and taken your children as their own. The powers that be may treat you as if your life is meaningless, inconsequential. But that is not ultimately what's true about you. Hang on. We are working on it. God says, I will free you. I am in the process of setting you free. Listen to me. Listen to what I say. Don't listen to what they tell you about themselves. Listen to what I say. So Mary has this alternative narrative baked into her being. It is part of her life and family and tradition. And she has something to call upon that is not what the world, the Roman Empire, would tell her about her own existence. Mary, in this moment, is able to believe herself and her own experience more than she believes what the world would tell her about herself. This is a critical, critical skill and capacity that people on the underside of power have had to cultivate. It's the capacity to listen in to what is true about one's own experience regardless of what the world would say regardless of what the powers that be would say. Listening in to that still small voice that knows who you are, that knows that you're worthy, that knows that indeed something beautiful and powerful and world-changing could indeed come through you. This possibility of believing in herself came from her religious tradition. 
And so she did not do what another young woman might do. She did not kill herself. She told the man she was to marry, Joseph, about what was happening. And he became her first ally. And then she went to her cousin Elizabeth's house. And Elizabeth was an older woman who was also pregnant at the time. She was also Jewish, but she was of a higher class. And yet she also became Mary's ally. And Mary lived with Elizabeth for three months while she was pregnant. So I want to pause here because this is what matters to me in this moment about Mary. She was able to believe her own experience and find the right allies to support her. I think that these are skills that those of us on the upper side of power, those of us with privilege, often rely too much on what the world thinks of us. We often rely too much on how much money we are making, how many degrees we have after our name, how valued we are uh, in the, the, the market of being attractive and wealthy and successful and powerful by the world's standards. These are the measures, how clean our houses are and how well-behaved our children are, how well we present is often the standard by which we judge ourselves. And we are able to do that if most of the time we do pretty well. But for communities of people who have never done well, by the terms of the status quo, a skill has been developed to listen in to a deeper truth, to listen in to the voice that is not the dominant paradigm. And this is a skill that is cultivated among oppressed communities. This is a skill that brings about a whole different kind of knowledge than the knowledge that the world, the powers that be, deliver. This is the knowledge that people on the underside of power have about life and reality and what matters and how to survive and even thrive and overcome a world system that is against you.
So this is my aim this Advent. To listen in to the vulnerable voices. To listen in to those who hold less power by the terms of this world. To listen to the African-American leaders. To listen to the African-American women about what they know about surviving and thriving as a mother in this world. I am wanting to listen to the vulnerable inside myself, the part of me that knows no efforting will be enough to save this child. No efforting alone will not save the human race. The answers have to come from the underside. The ways of this world cannot come from the means of this world. So my commitment this Advent is to take some space and some time to listen to the vulnerable in my midst. And by vulnerable, I mean those who are not privileged in whatever setting I'm in. What is the voice that is not the dominant voice? What is the voice that the world would overlook? In some settings, that's my own voice. In some settings, it's the voice of my child. In some settings, that might be the voice of the homeless in my city. That is definitely the issue. So this would be my invitation to you to join me in listening in to the voices on the underside of power for this season of Advent and to not do it to be good. Don't do it in an effort to be good, but to do it because that's where the answers are going to come from. There is hope. There is new possibility. There is something being born that has the potential to liberate all of humanity but it will be born from the underside of power. So let's listen. Amen and blessed be.